could start my business with practically just two pounds in a shed. Yeah, because you know I, what you see today is a far cry from where I was in a two uh, battered cortina. Yes, you know, working all the hours under the sun. Today, I, I you know, people can't believe that this man was doing loading, unloading, and delivery to the airport. You know, collecting cargo from Tottenham Court Road, Elwood Road. They won't believe Lord Ranger. They think he was born, you know, <laughs> with a silver spoon to grow so rapidly. There was no nothing secret. The only thing is we went out to exhibit. We exhibit in every corner of the world. If the customer won't come to us, we'll go to them. This country, uh, there were a lot of bigotry and prejudice because it, people didn't give us opportunity. And all these Asians opted for the corner shop and they become very rich. Yes, because had they, had they been given opportunity, I, I went for business because I was always denied promotion. I was treated very badly. I was looked on for, even though I was the number one manager of uh, Curry's. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspire Pod with myself, Karam Kang. We bring you the best interviews with leading business people and entrepreneurs in their field. Today's guest, he was born in India during partition with Pakistan in the mid-1940s to a single mother of eight following the assassination of his father. Having been in a refugee camp in his early years in India with his siblings, he moved to the UK in 1971 and worked his way through roles at Curry's, KFC and Dipsons. As his ambitions grew, he set up his own shop businesses before setting up Sea Air and Land Forwarding, an air freight company in 1985 with only two pounds. Fast forward today, he has business interests with annual turnovers in excess of 200 million pounds per annum. He works in major blue chip companies across all continents in the world. He's won an unprecedented five Queen's Awards for Enterprise and in 2019, he was created Baron Ranger of Mayfair in City of Westminster. Today's guest is none other than Lord Rami Ranger, CBE. Hi, Lord Rami. How are you? I am very well, and thank you for the introduction. Let me correct you one or two things. Okay. I was, bo I was born in 1947 okay. in, in India, which has now become Pakistan, a place called Gujranwala. And I started my business in 87. Okay, great. Uh, th thank you for that correction. Um, but, and uh, again, once again, uh, really excited to have you on. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. And I, I just wanted to start this um, session because, as we can imagine, a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs and people looking forward in their life, that, that are probably common stuck due to a few uh, challenges with uh, COVID-19. How have you seen businesses evolving and adapting during the current COVID-19 um, uh, situation? You know, I have a great faith in human strength. Uh, we are going to adapt to the changes. We have adopted, our company has adopted. We have given a lot of people uh, sent home. They're working from home. Some are on furlough and some are coming to work and maintaining their distance. We're keeping our windows open, sanitizing hands as people come and go and no handshake, no hugging. You know, all those precautions which one has to take, we're taking and we're asking our staff not to leave home when you go back home and don't use the public transport and eat your lunch in your cars. Don't go into the cafeterias or whatever, whatever you bring, go back to your cars which are parked and you, you eat your food 
in your privacy and don't sit, sit with your colleague. So a lot of things have done and we have also told our customer also that we are taking orders, we are loading containers because our business is export and uh, because we are dealing in food business and there's a huge demand. In fact, we have never seen demand like this ever before. So we are still trying to keep the country or the world going by supply chain. So a lot of changes, a uh, lot of challenges we're facing because the supply is also restricted from our suppliers because they're also facing huge demand from by everywhere. So what can we do? We have to adapt. We have to make the most of this situation. And But again, as I said, uh, we will prevail because we are, as long as we cooperate with the government, with the advice given to us by the authorities, the doctors or the chief medical officers, we should not become unnecessary, you know, uh, overconfident. So we need to preserve our life. That's the most important thing at this, in the, under this uh, pandemic. And then I, I'm sure we will emerge as a very, very strong company because more and more people are now doing business with us. And if we can give them good service, good product, good prices, they will come back. Brilliant. That, that, that's really great to see how, um, you know, there, there's so many positives from it uh, within your business. Do, do you see, what, what are the long-term benefits for, for business in the UK as a whole or in Europe and the world do you see coming from uh, the COVID challenges? Well, sadly, many business will suffer. Yes, because they, they are not in the food business. Yes, in my business, you know, it's a foolproof business, recession-proof, people have to eat. Even in recession, when people can't buy a better car, better television, better holiday, they eat, they eat more. It's a feel-good factor. They go into the supermarket, they buy whatever they want. And so, but there are some businesses who will not be able to sustain a prolonged lock, lockdown. So the government is trying to do their best to mitigate losses you know, for these people. And I hope and I pray that uh, this uh, lockdown is eased gradually, but within a couple of weeks, we can see some movement. Uh, and I heard on the radio today that they will make some exception, you know, like garden center, DIY, some restaurant will be able to uh, uh, give takeaway food uh, rather than just sit down meal. So things will gradually become normal, but I think it may take six months to uh, eight months. Okay, great. And, um, you know, with, with your own business uh, yourself, um, you know, a uh, number of the awards, the Queen's Awards that you won were during a recession period. And, you know, we might see that as well. Can you talk to us about how you did that before and, you know, how you pivoted and, um, you know, innovated yourself? You know, there are five principles which I uh, use. Uh, they are self-respect, that if people have no self-respect, they will come late to the to work. They will let their customer down. They will dress shabbily. They will do all sorts of things because self-respect. You want to preserve your self-respect that people respect you because you're an honest man. You are uh, ethical man. So self-respect is within your own uh, reach. It's up to you to how people respect. The work ethic is very important. That if you're working, that you must give pound of flesh to your employer who is paying you. A, uh, pay salary, national insurance, holiday pay, sick pay, all these things. So you've got to be careful that you just don't go and waste their money and your time. And commitment is very important. No matter how clever you are, 
you could be Harvard graduate, but if you're not willing to work and you're not willing to get your hand dirty, that degree, that knowledge is totally waste. So you have to show commitment, you know, uh, that to your work. And uh, the the, uh, the fourth one is uh, you have to have vision. Without vision, you're a headless chicken, unable to find your destination. So therefore, the vision is very important that you have to plan where I am, where I need to be, and how will I reach there. And then you have to make efforts to achieve your goals. And finally, is empty. You have to have empty for others. You have to have empty for your employer, who has paid you, who is giving you an you know, opportunity to develop your career. You have to have empty for your colleagues. It's not that they are taking the pressure and you are just you know, watching television or playing games or empty for your juniors. You've got to make sure that you train them. They're not typewriters. You don't expect them to be yes men because they will not then add value to your business or to your company. So empty for your customer. You can't have an attitude of um, I'm all right, Jack. You know, the customer, if your customers suffer, you will suffer. If they don't succeed, you don't succeed. These are very basic, simple. You don't have to go to Cambridge or Oxford to learn this basic principle that you've got to empathize with your supplier. You have to pay them on time because they have to pay on time. So looking at a slightly bigger picture than just being a selfish person will bring a huge benefit to the table. So that's how I started my business uh, with these principles. And then they say, hidden talent is no talent. Yes, if you can sing, you're a good singer, then you might as well sing. If you're a good actor, you might as well act and let the world see. So if I'm a businessman and I have a product or services, then I have to go and tell the world what product, what services I have, what benefit I can bring to the table. So for our business to grow so rapidly, there was nothing secret. The only thing is we went out to exhibit. We exhibit in every corner of the world. If the customer won't come to us, we'll go to them. Yes, because by going to the exhibition, people take you seriously. And in exhibition, you don't find time wasters. No one comes there for sightseeing. They are also coming to find product or a strategic partner or distributor or a supplier. So it's amazing. Those people who don't exhibit, they, never, they can never grow their businesses. Because you know all you're doing is a local. You have to look global if you want to be a global company. So that's how very simple anybody can do it. In my book, is you know from nothing to everything. It's written everything. Yes, yes. I want to give people the benefit of my knowledge that they don't have to go through what I went through. You know, they can bypass all the hardships, all the difficulties which I faced. And you know, life is as simple as you want to be. You want to make it to be. I absolutely love that, especially how you touch upon the softer skills such as empathy, hard working, you know, vision, etc. Because they're things, you know, of course, that can come to anybody naturally. And whilst those soft skills are, of course, important, um, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning, you, you, of course, had experience within retail uh, companies, food companies, and also, um, you know, your, your local shop before the main businesses you started. What hard skills and business skills would you advise anybody to learn or understand prior to getting into business or um, you know, advancing their own careers? Very good question. The best way to start a business is to work for a company 
and test your metal. Your metal by working for somebody. Because if you make mistake, then you haven't lost anything. It's the other people. And besides, when you're working with trained people around you, you learn a lot more. Exposure is much more. If I start business straight away from home, without, you know, they say no knowledge without college. And similarly, no experience without working for somebody and get, getting actually your hand dirty. You're actually dealing with the customer, customer supplier and facing the heat at when time go, things go wrong. So that is what I'll say, that I worked 20 years for other people and I excelled. And that's what gave me confidence because there is a, a Punjabi proverb, those who are bad in Lahore are also bad in Peshawar. Yes, so if you were bad while working for somebody, you're not going to be bad, good working for yourself because your habits will, will travel with you wherever you go. So therefore, when you're working for somebody, that is your opportunity to test your metal, test your skill, to be the best, and you become so confident that if I can run their business so well, yes, I could run my own business just as well. So learning the ropes is very important. And because then when you start your own business, you will have the foundation. You will know what the shortcomings are, what actually happens while you're running business. Yes. So therefore, you know, a lot of people, uh, rich people who have businesses, they will send their children to corporate com uh, companies, other companies to learn. They don't give them job immediately. My own daughter went to work for PwC two years. I said, look, I, I have limited experience here. But you work, she worked for Google, she worked for PwC before she joined me. And unbelievable, she brought so much knowledge from those companies which I didn't have. So therefore, I would recommend people to please don't rush. Don't they know your deadline, you know, because you want to be solid. You don't want to be half-baked or half-trained. You must have your foundation so strong that you can take pressure and you can build business above your shoulders. So therefore, that's what I will tell them. Okay, don't rush. Go to some good company, work there, uh, show them what you can do, and then from there you will get the confidence. I think that's brilliant advice, especially nowadays when, you know, with the internet and, you know, social media, there are a lot of opportunities for people to, you know, make their own businesses. And you also get a lot of people going into them, not knowing the ropes and, you know, in a year or two, having to go back into employment. But, you know, when company fails, it is a damage to your self-esteem, damage to your confidence, damage to your bank balance. And, you know, then it really is damage to your opportunity as well. It's better, you know, when you start, you know, driving car that you have learned how to drive car with the help of a driving instructor. So that's exactly what I say that before you start your business, you have worked for somebody under their shadow with your colleagues who are guiding you, learning you, because, you know, there's a lot of benefit afterward. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you, you have touched upon, um, you know, overcoming issues, etc. And I know when I read your book, you spoke about an issue you had with a previous business partner upon not being paid your 40% commission, which was agreed. And this, of course, you know, led into, you know, issues of, you know, doubt 
um, uh, you know, during your startup business. When, when you had those moments of doubt or, you know, you're feeling depressed or down while starting a business, how did you overcome this? And, you know, what was your mindset and your strength to overcome this? You see, luckily for me, I started in service industry where you don't need a lot of capital. You know, like a doctor, accountant, solicitor, because we are, you know, a freight forwarding guy. You know, I was selling my service. So I could start my business with practically just two pounds in a shed. Yeah, because, you know, I, what you see today is a far cry from where I was in a two uh, battered cortina. Yes, you know, working all the hours under the sun. Today, I, I, you know, people can't believe that this man was doing loading, unloading, and delivery to the airport, you know, collecting cargo from Tottenham Court Road, Elwood Road. They won't believe Lord Ranger. They think he was born, you know, <laughs> with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had a divine, you know, intervention. But they don't realize that I was a car cleaner. I used to sweep floors, everything I'd done. But anyway, that made me a better human being and when somebody else, I will never give anybody a job which I can't do it. So that made me a better human being, you know, because I know if I can't do it, he can't do it. Yes. So the blessing in disguise. So because you know people try to exploit you, uh, blessing in disguise. And I mean, you know, I give you an example. Uh, when we came to this country, uh, there were a lot of bigotry and prejudice because it, people didn't give us opportunity, and all these Asian opted for the corner shop and they become very rich. Yes, because had they, had they been given opportunity, I, I went for business because I was always denied promotion. I was treated very badly. I was looked down upon, even though I was the number one manager of uh, Curry's. Yes, number one top, but still they would talk to me as if, you know, you're talking to a coolie and it was heartbreaking. And that's what, you know, this adversity brings out the best in you. And that's why lots of Asians opted for corner shop and uh, they became rich because, you know, you lived above the shop. There was no travel, no electric bill, no gas bill. Everything was paid for tax-free. Yes. And suddenly the big supermarket realized that with the business is being stolen right under our noses. You know, before they opened, the Asian had done 30% of the business. Then they closed. After they closed, they, we did another 30% of the business. And in between 40%, we were competing with them. So anyway, so therefore, you can't keep a good person down. You know, we, are, we come from India with the right values. We are a very civilized country. Uh, we have lots and lots of, you know, strong family unit. It helps a lot, you know, because it is very difficult for a, my single mother to bring out so many children, I could see. But it, you know, it's so difficult, but, and therefore it's very good to have husband, wife, supporting a family that will give the children a head start. You know, they can go to private school because, you know, parents are supporting them. So I think the Asian people have done so well because of our family values, like the Jewish community. Fantastic. And, um, you know, on those values, um, you know, be, being immigrants, you know, from India, and do you see that, you know, when you get a lot of people these days coming as immigrants into new countries, it can be a disadvantage as you experience yourself, but they can then turn that into their own advantage through motivation? Yes. You see, when we, you see, you know, you, when you understand your subject, you can deal with it very quickly, you know, very, very carefully you can deal with it. For example, when we know we're immigrants. We know we're in a different country. 
We know our accent is funny. We know we don't have relatives or friends or old schoolboy network. We know we don't have the experience required or the education in this country yet to be at par with the British people. So how do you compensate? You work extra hours. You know, they work five hours, five days, you work six days. That's what we did when we came. You know, we worked extra hours to overcome our drawbacks, you know, the handicap. So, you know, it's a hail and torture story, you know, that you have to compensate your shortcoming by being positive. The most important thing is to remain positive. And if you can remain positive in a negative situation, you are a winner. And that is the key that you must be loyal to this country. People who are not loyal, loyalty is prerequisite for success. If you're not loyal to your family, they'll kick you out. If you're not loyal to your employer, they'll sack you. If you're not loyal to this country, you will not progress. You're always looking back. Yeah, looking back. Those who look back can't look forward. So I, I'm very lucky that because I inherited those values. You know, this is small country, Great Britain. It become great because of the values. They have the values, you know, they are tolerant, fair play. Uh, they are, uh, they, they got laws against discrimination. Yes, their rule of law, everybody is equal. You know, by discriminating against people, they can create liability rather than uh, asset like me. Now I'm employing thousands of people, otherwise I could be on a dole queue. Yes. So by discriminating people on the basis of race, religion, or color does not do the nation any good. So therefore, you know, it's a simple, basic value you have to adopt. You know, and good things is that these are free. You know, you don't have to go to any very far to have that. You know, I'm loyal. If I'm loyal, I have a loyal friend, good friend, and you know, you will be rewarded, full stop. You know, you marry a young lady or you know, the girl will marry a man who are loyal to each other. They're not looking for, you know, uh, extreme beauty or extreme wealth. They're looking for loyalty. Loyalty to me is a top. Yeah, brilliant. And um, but when I was reading your um, uh, book and seeing the background on uh, Sunmark and how it grew from, you know, working with single clients to establish businesses such as Nestle and Unilever and then branding your own business products and food products, can you talk about how that innovation grew into new opportunities and new avenues? It's very simple. A good doctor knows which heart goes to which, into which body. Yes, you can have a healthy heart, healthy body, but if you mismatch them, they're both dead. A good businessman should know which products are meant for which market. Yes, for example, if you have a Rolls Royce, you have to sell that in a West End showroom. You try to sell in a corner shop, they think it's a stolen car. Yes, very common sense. So therefore, when I started my business uh, from shipping uh, to marketing, you know, Sunmark, because it was a natural progression because I was moving cargo freight for people and they were buying uh, product from so many suppliers and I was consolidating them. And as luck would have it, one of my customers in Tanzania was facing difficulties trying to get some stock from Cadbury. Uh, he said, look, my container is delayed because the distributor is on holiday. Can you help me? I went to Cadbury. I said, look, this is the situation. We've been waiting for 10 days. Uh, and she said, you know, uh, there's always somebody good in the world to help you. So she said, do you have an account with us? I said, no. 
will you pay upfront? I say yes. So I paid on the uh, upfront. The I received the goods, and they were twenty percent cheaper because there were no district uh, distributor margin. So I gave it to him. He was very happy. He said, "Bloody hell, you know, can you get me more product?" Yeah, because he said, you know, and I started to help my customer in the belief that if I help them, I'll help myself and I'll get the freight business. But I had no idea that unwittingly, I had removed seven, eight profit centers. So he was now saving two to 3,000 pounds per container because you know nobody can buy full container of baked bean, full container of salad cream, full container of ketchup. They buy pellet, pellet load, and then they consolidate, yes? So my job was to bring seven, eight, 10 suppliers. And when I eliminated those suppliers, now he was getting goods direct to my warehouse, 20% cheaper, no delivery cost, no shortages, no short good dated goods. And my I people in the world got around, lots of people came. You know, you make profit while buying. If your buying is right, your selling is automatically right. So these people queuing, they were queuing to do business with me. Yes. So I started, so my marketing company. Uh, became good. Then I it came to me uh, that I should become agent for these big companies. And I knew that the big com countries, they already have distributors. Yes, they said there's a Chinese proverb. Uh, no, this is, sorry, there's a Yorkshireman, Yorkshireman's proverb where there's a muck, there's a brass. Yeah, you make you will find. I said, look, I go to small countries where countries are too small, the, uh, the market is small, they have no interest to these big greedy people. So I went to Seychelles, Maldives, Gibraltar, Madagascar, Cyprus, Malta, you know, all these, uh, uh, Mauritius, all these small, small countries. And I said, look, I can take your product to those countries and I market them. And I got the agencies and then I proved themselves that I'm a very good distributor and from there, and I'm very honest, man, I don't do parallel that, you know, because you buy for export, they're cheaper because there's 20% cheaper because they don't have to give you uh, advertising budget, marketing, distribution, and, you know, return goods. So they always make these export products cheaper. So a lot of people, rogue traders, they will say it's going for Mauritius, they bring back and sell it to Sainsbury. I never did that because ethics pay is small term gains become long-term losses. If people don't trust you for five pounds, they can't trust you for 500 pounds. So it's all basic, you know, my background, your teacher, my mother gave me this value, the son, just be natural, be honest. Honesty will pay you in the long run. It may not bring you quicker reward, but in the long term, you will have bigger reward. So from that agency, my reputation grew. Then they gave me big country like Nigeria, Ghana, Gambia, Sierra, all difficult where the distributor were underperforming. And today I have got agencies to such big country. And then again, vision is very important. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at Sainsbury, Tesco, as that they have their own brands of product. Yeah, there's a market for Mercedes, but there's also market for Toyota. Not everybody can afford to buy branded product because of their cost of advertising, you know, sales, distribution, all these profit, you know, they attract a lot of expenses. You know, like if you have a Chanel perfume, look at your advertising cost of the Chanel perfume. Yes, 
So I decided to have my own brands, but unlike Sainsbury Tesco, I will not compromise on the quality because they are selling for a lower end of the market. For me, export is for the top end of the market. So therefore, I said, I will only buy your product, your top product, but I won't pay you for the advertising, sales, distribution, and marketing cost. And I could get 30% cheaper, which I passed 20% benefit to the customer, kept 10% myself. It became a win-win situation. So my product, but unlike the supermarket, where they call basic value product, horrible looking packaging, I gave them beautiful name, royalty, English breeze, pure heaven, golden country, and beautiful packaging, beautiful name. Why should I patronize my customer? Because you're so poor, you can only buy basic brand or a value brand. So all this, God is very kind. He gave me ideas, you know, otherwise nothing. I had nothing in my life uh, and now I have everything and much more. Yeah, I even got honors, which is very difficult to buy. Yeah. Yes, to me, honors are more valuable than money. Money people can have by selling scrap. But to get honors, it really is something. And I would always recommend people that you work for your respect and you'll m make more money because people will pay you more because you're honorable. People go and pay Marks and Spencer slightly more because of the quality. People go and pay a, 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 a reputable doctor slightly more because he has honor. So work for your honor, you will make more money. Uh, you, you again, you spoke heavily about, you know, surrounding yourself with the right bodies and right team. And going back to your book, uh, you, you, there was a chapter on leadership and hiring and, and recruitment. And can you talk to us about the importance of those people that you surround yourself with and finding those people with the right values and soft skills to be in your team? Okay, this is very, very, very important point. Uh, you know, I'm giving you my experience. Some people will say, you should buy the best. You should hire the top people. Yeah, that is also good. In my case, because my profitability was so low, you know, 10% or 7%, 5%, you know, we have to be very careful that we don't employ big guns costing us so much money. And they, if they don't fire, you know, we could lose business. Yeah. And also the high flyer, can abandon you or leave you, you know, when you need them the most. They're always looking for greener pastures because they are so confident. They're so, you know, that they can get a better job, better money elsewhere. Their loyalty is suspect. So what I've done, rightly or wrong, I believe in apprenticeship scheme. The government is also launched their flagship scheme, apprenticeship where you can train people from the shop floor to the boardroom. You can train them uh, in such a way, uh, it's called tailor-made training, yes? You bring them from a, you know, uh, from a young age and you train them. And those people, because they have been trained by you, they're trained by your colleagues, their own colleagues, they built a very good bond with each other. They become like a family, rather than picking a shelf picking somebody from the shelf and that person will just will not have that in-depth relationship with the company with you and i found that over the my business is now over the year 33 years uh, 87 you know probably 33 years old yeah so in that 33 years period i have trained people from the zero 
to hero because those people have become so loyal they got above average pay and they became very expert in their field they did not bring any bad habit from elsewhere they did not feel they were arrogant they know it more than me or they know it better let's do this so we all work as a team with the same philosophy same policies and we discuss and when we discuss the implication of any idea or whatever but then we move forward so i will recommend people to train your own staff it will be cheaper it'll be cost effective and these people will give you a lot more than a higher fry arrogant man can give you because you'll always be worried oh i don't say anything he will leave me yes so the company does not run on the basis of all these people who are here today gone tomorrow i i think that's absolutely critical so the clients which uh, we work with when we're recruiting and building their teams up the ones that do better over long term exactly that they bit uh, higher on soft skill higher on loyalty and then you know train them and transfer their skills and they're the ones still there 5 10 years afterwards indeed i got staff working for me for 25 years you know 30 <laughs> years because there's no point leaving because they over the period they got they keep getting increment pay the pay has gone through the roof and they're very grateful that i gave you know the company gave them opportunity when they needed the most when nobody wanted them the company said we will train you yes you know there's so many good people out there who are looking look at me somebody gave me an opportunity they and i worked very hard for 20 years and i gave them the best result so therefore it is a, a, a you know uh, looking for a, a right material the material if the material is good you can make a nice you know, human you know a, a, a business leader out of him fantastic and, and just moving on to um, the the second part of our interview um you know i just wanted to touch upon um, your background more about you because once again you know it's fascinating move you know being grown up in um, you know what was the biggest partition in you know in, in history between uh, india and pakistan can you give more of a, a background uh, you know in your upbringing uh, you know in, in india before you moved over to the uk right you see what happened was we were in what is now pakistan and unfortunately hindus and sikhs were very prosperous in that area you know they had all these businesses and all these farmlands and everything and that's why uh, they were kicked out because you know people the british divide and rule policy became divide and run so they gave them this uh, freedom that you can take a country you can have a country not on the basis of merit but just on the basis of religion and those people who lack marriage or qualification education they found that opportunity to smash and grab and a lot of killing took place over a million people were killed and over 10 million people became refugee in their own countries because this was the poison uh, unfortunately the british were imperial power that time they are not the same today today they are different yes because they are no longer imperial but when you are ruling people you have to divide you are ruthless your values are totally different it's like a dictatorship so british were doing this and uh, they left a sting in the tail and you know my father was a political leader he was a visionary he could foretell the consequences of religious disharmony he pleaded with the then muslim leader not to cut and run 
because they were not dividing India, but they were also dividing the Muslim India and renting the weak forever. After independence, India will be secular and democratic with one person, one vote, and together we'll make our destiny, wherever, you know, whoever wants what kind of government. And then he further warned them, if you create a country on the basis of hatred for other people, then how will you remove that base? Yes, and you know, he used to say, India's diversity is like the color of a rainbow. Its charm will diminish if one is removed. But unfortunately, he became a marked man. He was against partition. He gave a lot of provo provocative lectures uh, that India is not a shop. You can divide between brothers. It's a motherland. No child will ever be happy after breaking his mother country. And then he would say that today we are united. Tomorrow we will become rival. And our rivalry will just grow and grow. And he was so right that we have four wars, bloody wars, since independence. Yes, if you know religion can unite people for the wrong reason, yes, but you can see Bangladesh became separate from Pakistan in 25 years. If religion had the strength, then all Muslim countries would have free movement of people and goods. But reality is totally different. But if there is a they have to get together for a, to attack somebody, they will get together, but not to live in peace. So therefore, my father was a marked man, and one fine morning, DAV school, Multan, the student of DAV school, they took out a procession against the partition of India. They got caught in a pro-partition, pro-Pakistan area, you know, Muslim-dominated area. They were being attacked. He was in a court because he was a lawyer. Somebody came to him and said there's been riots and students are being, you know, attacked. So he went to save the student because they were being knifed, you know, they were beaten up. So when he went there to save, so they left the student, they turned on him because he was the leader and he stopped them. Although student could run away and he attracted the rock to himself and he was stabbed to death at the age of 44, I think. He was 44 years old. Uh, he lost his life for Hindu Muslim unity. And then we lost everything, ancestor home, breadwinner, uh, the country, and uh, we just came on a refugee train uh, to India, this side. But luckily my father's reputation saved us because you know the train was so full. People were climbing wherever they could sit, they were sitting. And my mother, with, I was only 20 days old, she could not get in the train. so. She had presence of mind. She went to the uh, the engine driver and pleaded with him that I was the wife of so and so. My father's reputation said, "Oh, he knows. He said, a great man." Because my father was a very prominent leader, so he re he remembered my father. He said that was a tragic death. So he said, "Look, I can't help you get on the train, but if you don't mind, you sit on the coal tender. You know where they keep coals." Yeah. So, so we sat on the coal tender. And we all become black with suit, whole suit. And I was so frightened when the, my brother tells me when the engine used to whistle, I used to go blue. So they kept their hands on my ears and we came to this side. And then my, we went to Patiala, uh, Maharaja Patiala had opened refugee camps. And from there, my mother was very dynamic, very intelligent. You know, her brother told her to give the children to orphanage. You won't be able to cope because you're too young 
and you find somebody else to marry you, whatever, you're 35 years old. <clears throat> My mother refused. He said, I will not give in or give up, no matter what the fate throws at me. And, uh, and fate did throw all the challenges to her. And she went to see the chief minister of Pepsu, and she, she took cuttings, certificates of my father. You know, when people were collecting jewelry and clothes, she was collecting my father's paper, and she presented to him. He said, this is what I was, this is what I have become. Please help me. And then he was, he was really moved, and he said, are you educated? He said, I'm up to metric. You know, uh, so I'm educated. He said, I'll get, I'll get you a job in a kindergarten school. So she became a teacher. Then she said, go and see if there's any empty house in the area, in the Spatella. So we found one house which the Muslim have left. So they opened the house. We went in there. And my mother, we started our life. She will go to rich people and bring their cast off clothes to give it to us. And, uh, you know, but my, all my brothers were given free education as a result of my father's reputation and they won scholarship and then five of my brother became commissioned officer in the Indian Army and the same mother, refugee mother, received the title proudest Indian mother from the government of India. Yes, so that is the story of a remarkable woman. I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be anywhere or all of my brother or sibling wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for the determination, courage, and vision of our mother, who did not let us down, and each one of us become you know, successful in our own right, and only because one woman was educated, and was, you know, I, I give my faith, the Sikh faith, they treat women as equal from the day one. You know, if she was not treated as equal, then I think I won't be here. We have we would be probably in an orphanage somewhere. Oh, I don't know. That, that, that's remarkable. And um, what what impact did that have on you? Um, you know, growing up and you know th those values around around business. Just be, all my mother said that your father was an honourable man. Don't do anything to bring shame to him, because he's a revered figure. He has a statue in and he's a picture in Golden Temple Amritsar. On Amritsar, he's got a statue, a big role after his name. People respect you, respect us, respect everybody because of your father. The least you can do is not to tarnish his name. And that's what we said. We will never, ever do anything which will bring bad name to our illustrious father because he died for the right reason. And, you know, every year there's a memorial lecture. There's uh, my father's memorial in university in Punjala. And then in Delhi, the last lecture was given by the Vice President of India, before that, the Foreign Minister of India. So it's so much respect we have got from our father, and we have to maintain that respect. And because of the family background and what we had to look, what we look up to, we had to strive to be the best among the rest. Brilliant. And um, I remember reading that, um, you know, you used to cause a lot of mischief in the class and uh, gr growing up and a bit yes. naughty. Uh, what, what impact did, did that have on you? Uh, in a when I was, you see, because when my mother my lost her husband, I was the baby and she used me as a toy to take her mind off her husband. So I became a spoiled child. 
you know, all because being the youngest, everybody gave me love, sweets, toffees, chocolates, and all these things. And I was just, you know, mischief maker. Yeah, because I, and then, you know, I was mediocre student. I didn't do much, but when I came to England, I persuaded my mother that I want to do Barrett Law in UK. I will come back and earn more money as a educator in UK. But anyway, when I came here, it was a cultural shock to me. What I imagined was not the Great Britain or England. You know, what I seen on movies, you know, the English movies, the garden, manicure garden, nice sports car, English people talking, Fox S accent going all this <clears throat> beautiful scenery. So when I came here, it was told I could understand half of these people, you know, Cockneys and all these. And uh, <laughs> it was a shock and no jobs for me. Education was very expensive. My brother had warned me not to come, but I said, you're just jealous. You don't want me to come and enjoy my life. And I came and then I, you know, because as I said, because uh, circumstances can change people. And my circumstances, because I was out of luxury into hardship, and that's where I had to think. And then I think, because I do a lot of thinking. Without thinking, you can't move forward. Yeah, you should think all the time before you act. Yeah, plan, and then, and I was thinking, I said, you know, I have blown the chance during the education when I was in the college. I didn't become a good student or a, uh, a bright student. I didn't progress like the normal student. Yes, now I have a second chance. If I work for somebody, yeah, I must prove myself. And that's what I did. I said, I've already lost my chance in college. Now, when I'm going to work for somebody, I'm going to work so hard, I'm going to learn and give them. And that's how I became the best. Wherever I went, I became the best because I knew my respect, my self-respect. I don't want to be insulted because if I came late, they were shout at me. If I didn't do the job they asked me to do, they will be rude to me next time. If I, you know, what, it was up to me to earn my respect, and which I did, and uh, the result is just because chasing my honor, maintaining my self-respect, preserving my honor, here I am in front of you from a refugee camp to House of Lords. And I now sit with the best, the cream de la cream, army chief, police commissioner, judges, bishop. When I go there and I pinch myself, is that true? <laughs> you are, On the car cleaning days. I said, look at this guy. You were a car cleaner the other day, and now you're sitting with the you know archbishop's Canterbury representative or a chief army, you know, uh, former chief of the British Army or, or the police commissioner. I have three police commissioners sitting next to me. You know, yeah. amazing. That's really, really inspirational. <laughs> yes. We will make his losses good because, you know, money we can always earn back. But if you lose a customer, we'll never get him back. And he might take 10 more customers with it. You have to look at a bigger picture. You just cannot look at a very, looking at a small things, you will remain small. Fantastic. That, that's absolutely amazing. And um, as mentioned, we, we're going to go into uh, a quick fire round, which is just five answer five questions which are usually in one answer one worded answer one sentence um so first one what would you say is the most proudest achievement uh, of your career to date for the first queen's award when i got the first queen's award 
I had a battered cortina. I was, I went to Buckingham Palace. My wife was dressed like a Bollywood queen. And I went inside the palace. They're like, you know, Bill Clinton. I ride all the way right inside. And then the police officer stopped me. He said, driver, you can keep your car here. The lady, you come with me. I said, look, I've also come to see the queen. <laughs> you know, she's gone. So, so he said, okay. So that was the proudest moment. A message the queen was with us, mingling with us, with Duke of Edinburgh, talking to us. And that was the proudest moment for a man who saw the queen on television, you know, and to, to be in face to face. What a gracious lady she is. Yes. And that was the greatest, highest achievement for me that's incredible and um, would you advise people to either a work for their passion or b work for money no work for your passion you will make more money because you know if you work for money then you will only keep on you know 10 pound an hour 10 pound an hour you work somebody gave you 20 pound you work two hours and you'll stop therefore if you work for passion then you are self-motivated person that what motivates you, your passion, your own uh, ambition. So therefore, it is very, very important. You know, the money, for example, I give you one example, my own example. When I went for a first job, I went for a job uh, after I was car cleaning, I, would go, I didn't like it, I left, and then I went for a job, uh, looking for a job. I went to Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC, yeah? I was given 12 pounds a week in those days, yes? Then I looked around the corner, there was another job, staff wanted. I went to fish and chip shop, uh, and I said, how much the job pay? He said, 12, 14 pounds. And I said, is there any scope? He said, what do you mean scope, any progress? He says, you and me. Then I went back to KFC, and I said, is there any progress, any scope? He said, yes, if you're good, we'll make you system manager. If you're better, we'll make you manager. And even better, we'll make you district manager. So from there, money, had I gone for the two pound extra, in three months, I became a system manager, my pay become 18 months. In a year, I became a manager, my salary become 35 pounds. In two years, I was a district manager running 10 store, my salary was 75 pounds. Yeah, with a company car expensive. So just, just so all that glitter is not gold, you got to look for opportunity in the scope, where you're gonna end up. Brilliant. And um, what is the one bit of advice you would tell people not to do in, in business today? Well, my biggest advice is, please, if you are growing, you want to grow your business, you must grow from the profit. Do not try to borrow money to expand because that you might be lucky, but behind every success, there are 10 failures also. That's where a lot of companies fail. There's no uh, rush, there is no deadline. We don't have to beat anybody. You have to see your own circumstances. If you, you're in a business, you make sure that you generate profit and within that profit, with the help of that profit, you grow. Then if tomorrow there is a downturn in the business, you are not worried and you don't have a high leverage. And uh, of course, you um, you know work with uh, many successful people, and you know you see them day to day. What is the one key trait you see in other successful people? Do 
they have some qualities, yes, that we have to emulate. Yes, I always say you mix with people who are higher than you. You will learn a great deal from them because they're ahead of you because they're successful. They have something extra. So you have to follow, you know, copy what you want to be. So therefore, if you want to be a politician, copy them. You want to be a doctor, copy them. If you want to be successful, you have to inherit the qualities of successful people, that they are punctual, they work hard, they do their attention to detail. They are not, you know, I always give one example I can give you now that two medical students, they go to same medical college, they study same length of time, they get the same certificate, MBBS. Yet one ends up in Harley Street, one, up, one ends up in just ordinary clinic. The difference is, when I ask people, they say he had the money, he had the connection, is there? No, but the man in Harley Street is never in rush, never in hurry. He will take a second opinion, third opinion. He will ask searching questions to his patient, establish the cause, what is the problem? He's never in a rush. Once he knows what's wrong with my patient, he will then take another opinion, two, three opinions, look, this is the problem, what do you think? And then he will treat his patient. But the man in the ordinary clinic is in fast rush. He will never take time to establish, he will just do, or he will just push you to some specialist in hospital, yes? Yeah. So therefore, be perfectionist. Mediocracy will get you by, but it will never get you noticed. Fantastic. And, and final one. This might be. I don't know if this will be a tough one, but where do you prefer, India or UK? UK, hundred times. <laughs> UK, because you know why? Because I only have one life, and uh, if I was in India, I shudder to think what would have been my future. This country has given me everything. I came with nothing and I have everything. And I'm very loyal to this country. I'll do anything, although I'm very loyal to India also, but I will never betray the trust of these people who have given me everything. So therefore, Britain has developed me into the man I am today. And I've learned great deal because you're judged by the company you keep. I have kept the company of British people. From there, I've learned to be tolerant. I've learned to be fair. I learned to be you know, so many things, yes? So uh, Britain, to me, is my country now. I'm a British citizen. Yeah. I'm a British, British peer. <laughs> I can't, and, you know, I want to pass that cricket test. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. And, and look, that, that wraps it up. Um, again, like so much advice for anybody who's going to be listening to this. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to add or, or mention to that? Well, my final word is that you're all unique. You're all, everyone is born with special qualities. And identify your strength and your qualities and make the most of, most of what you have been blessed with. And please do try, otherwise you'll have regret later on in life. I wish I had done this, I wish that. It doesn't matter if you don't succeed, but there are chances you will succeed. If you do how we have done, that you were planned, you did all due diligence, you took all the precaution, you got training from other people, and you were really prepared to go into the battlefield rather than just, you know, go unprepared. So once you, you know, done all your homework, I guarantee you, and you're willing to work hard, 
efforts are in the hand. My mother used to say, efforts are in our hand, rewards are in the hand of Almighty. So God will bless you if you do your utmost. Fantastic. And if anybody wants to follow you online, um, are you on any social media platforms they can follow you? I said hidden talent is no talent. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. And anyone who wants some advice, a genuine person, I'm very happy to uh, give them any advice free of charge. Because for me, if we can turn assets for this country, we will all be better. I am a fellow of Princess Trust, and I go mentor youth, and I share my stories, and they get heart that if this idiot can do it, we can do it. No, well, and, and look, I also advise anybody at home, like really, buy the book. Um, that's absolutely brilliant. Okay. Thank you, sir. It's been a great pleasure to have a conversation with a professional like you. Well, thank you so much. And um, yeah, remember to um, like, share, subscribe, follow us on inspire.pod. And we look forward to the next episode. Goodbye. Thank you. All the best. Stay well.